It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Friday, March 4th. I'm Kelly Reese and this is your KVMR Evening News. Tonight on the California Report, state officials take umbrage with a new study alleging California's snail's pace in helping people with COVID-related hardships pay their back rent. Then a look at a new state bill, which would create the first-ever pilot program offering unemployment insurance to California's undocumented immigrants. We'll take a look at regional news and weather before Felton Pruitt gives us a sneak peek at what to expect from tomorrow's Minstrels in the Gallery performance. He sits down with Jonathan Lyerly to speak about the music of Jethro Tull. This is the California Report. I'm Aditi Bandlamudi in San Francisco. A recently released report shows that California is way behind in helping people with COVID-related hardships pay their back rent. But as KQED's Kate Wolf reports, the state disagrees with the report's findings. California's eviction moratorium ended last fall. State officials said people could still be protected if they could prove they'd applied for rent relief. But that protection ends on March 31st, and hundreds of thousands of people are still waiting for aid. The study from PolicyLink finds that in a year of operation, only 16 percent of applicants have received aid. Madeline Howard is an attorney and one of the study's authors. She says the state must speed up the process and extend eviction protections. It would be so profoundly unfair and wrong for tenants to be evicted because of these bureaucratic delays. The state says the study uses old data. They maintain they've distributed aid to 41 percent of households that completed an application and more is going out each week. For The California Report, I'm Kate Wolf. Now on to immigration. Immigrant and worker rights advocates gathered in Sacramento yesterday in support of the first-ever unemployment benefits for undocumented immigrants. KQED's Farida Javala-Romero reports. As businesses closed during the pandemic, undocumented immigrants were ineligible for unemployment insurance, even though they contribute an estimated $3 billion each year in state and local taxes. ¿Se puede? Now, a new bill by Assemblyman Eduardo Garcia from Imperial County would pilot a program offering $300 a week for up to 20 weeks to undocumented people who become unemployed. Here's Los Angeles State Senator Maria Elena Durazo, a co-author. California needs to build a strong and inclusive safety net for all Californians. The pandemic was not the first, nor will it be the last crisis. More than 5 million people in California are undocumented or live with an undocumented relative. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala-Romero. Support for the California Report comes from Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. Stanford Healthcare alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area. Now's the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org And the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at Irvine.org. At least 90,000 restaurants and bars across the country have closed since the beginning of the pandemic. That's according to the Independent Restaurant Coalition. And while the recent drop in COVID-19 infections are encouraging, new variants and future waves are not out of the question. 
The California Report's Keith Mizuguchi says that all that uncertainty has restaurant owners on edge. The Newsom administration says it's still focused on getting people vaccinated and boosted and making sure hospitals are prepared in case there's another surge. But gone are the days of a full lockdown of businesses. That's welcome news for Evan Rich, chef and owner of Rich Table in San Francisco. In the restaurant industry, we're all accustomed to we do this for the love and business is secondary and we don't think about money and all that stuff. But in reality, we run a business and need to make sure, you know, people's livelihoods are dependent on us paying them and staying open. Rich says that if there's anything the pandemic has taught him over the last two years, it's that the restaurant industry has to be flexible. So while he's pleased that California is moving into this new phase, he's already making plans for how to respond if things get worse. Having the ability to kind of make choices on the fly to adjust your business is kind of what we've learned. Rich Table was one of many restaurants in California that decided to close at the height of the Omicron surge. And it meant thousands of dollars in lost revenue during one of the busiest times of the year. Add that to the massive amounts of debt bars and restaurants have accumulated during the pandemic, and many say they are now at risk of closure. A recent survey of independently owned bars and restaurants that applied for federal funding but were denied, about two in three, found 80% would be forced to close permanently if they don't get financial relief soon. Silicon Valley Congressman Ro Khanna says that's simply unacceptable. Everyone knows one of their favorite restaurants, which is closed. We can't have that in this country. We need to provide uh, restaurants with help. In late January, Khanna introduced his own legislation that would offer small businesses, like mom-and-pop restaurants, tax credits to offset a portion of state and local taxes. He hopes it can be part of a larger budget package that's being negotiated right now in Washington. Small businesses, small restaurants, these brick-and-mortar stores, these are my priority when we look at who deserves relief. It's not just financial survival that has restaurant owners on edge. It's also the ever-changing rules put in place for how they can remain open and operate safely. Health and Human Services Secretary Mark Galley has said that while the state is lifting its masking requirement for indoor businesses, health officials could go back to enforcing it if the virus surges once again. For Evan Rich, he's recommending not requiring that his employees wear face coverings, but he understands that a lot will depend on a person's comfort level. We're all adults here, so I want to make sure that everyone understands the risk. And as long as they feel comfortable with it, I am. And, you know, I I take my health into my own hands and I, you know, respect the fact that they do as well. When it comes to financial relief, Rich says he's hoping he'll receive federal funding this time around. But if it doesn't happen, he'll have to find a way to move forward. And that could mean making some changes, like paring down his menu or adjusting what kinds of ingredients he's able to offer his customers. Congress's deadline to pass a budget for the fiscal year is March 11th. For The California Report, I'm Keith Mizuguchi. And that's The California Report for Friday, March 4th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Katie McMurrin, Danny Bringer, and Chris Hoff, with assistance from Seal Muller. Our producers are Mary Franklin Harvin and Keith Mizuguchi. Our senior editor is Angela Corral. Our director of news is Vinnie Tong. Our executive editor is Ethan Tovin Lindsay, and our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Aditi Bandlamudi. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.
First up, a very brief look at today's COVID numbers for you. Nevada County Public Health reports 10 new confirmed COVID-19 cases. The National Weather Service predicts temperatures below freezing this weekend. In response, Sierra Roots and the County of Nevada are activating the Extreme Weather Shelter Protocol for Saturday night. The shelter opens at 4.30 p.m. in the lower level of the Nevada City Veterans Hall on North Pine Street and continues accepting guests until 8 p.m. The shelter closes at 7.30 a.m. Sunday morning. Sierra Roots volunteers and staff will be medically screening guests who must agree to follow COVID procedure, including wearing masks at all times and social distancing. In addition to Sierra Roots, the Homeless Outreach and Medical Engagement Team will provide case management services to attendees. Hospitality House will provide homeless access transportation to and from the Veterans Hall, and the Nevada County Veterans Services Office will connect homeless veterans to available services. The Union of Grass Valley reports a Nevada County judge on Thursday ruled against extending the temporary workplace restraining order that would have barred two Nevada County residents from access to the elections office. Jacqueline and Chip Mattoon may reclaim their firearms, but the third resident involved in the January 20th incident in the office's entryway will face longer-term consequences. According to court documents, the judge who oversaw the two-day hearing this week found, quote, clear and convincing evidence that Tana Kenny engaged in unlawful violence or made a credible threat of violence, end quote. Kenny, who surrendered her firearms after the temporary order was granted, will not have the right to bear arms until the three-year order beginning Thursday is lifted, County Counsel Kit Elliott said. Additionally, according to Elliott, Kenny may contact the clerk recorder's office via remote means, email, phone, or mail, but cannot come within 25 feet of the physical office on the second floor of the Eric Rood Administrative Center. Elliot said Kenny is also required to keep an 100-yard distance from Administrative Assistant Suzanne Hardin and Assistant Clerk Recorder Natalie Adona. The restraining order concerns an incident in which the Mattoons and Kenny approached the elections office on January 20th and pushed their way inside despite being told they needed to follow COVID-19 protocol and put on masks before entering, according to declarations filed in Nevada County Superior Court. The suspects in a rural Nevada County robbery on Wednesday, March 2nd, are still at large, according to the Nevada County Sheriff's Office. However, over $3,000 worth of goods reported stolen from the Chalk Bluff Road home was found by Major Crimes Unit detectives at a property on Jones Ridge Road. Among the stolen items, a loaded SKS rifle was recovered. Nevada County is pretty familiar with atmospheric rivers after the deluge received in late October and December's behemoth storm. In a new study on this phenomenon, researchers from the Scripps Institution of Oceanography at UC San Diego say this element of climate change contributed to Orville Dam's 2017 crisis. Issues with the dam's spillways Issues with the dam's spillways led to the evacuation of 188,000 people who lived in the Feather River floodplain. Study co-author Alexander Gershinov, a climate scientist at Scripps, says, quote, we expect atmospheric rivers, or ARs, to become more potent in a warming climate. We had previously assessed ARs and their evolving contribution to hydroclimate change over western North America. It was done in global climate model projections, but this is the first study that quantified the influence of global warming on a specific, real, recent, and impactful atmospheric river event. End quote. Now let's take a look at our regional weather. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, rain and a chance of snow before 9 p.m., cloudy with a low around 30. 
possible snow showers after midnight. Tomorrow, a 40% chance of snow showers before 9 a.m. The morning begins cloudy but gradually clears, becoming sunny with a high near 45. Sunday, sunny with a high near 55. The National Weather Service has issued a winter weather advisory from 10 p.m. this evening to 1 p.m. Saturday. We may see snow down at 2,000 feet by Saturday morning. If you're thinking of traveling to the mountains this evening, expect slippery road conditions. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, snow with a low around 20. New snow accumulation of 1 to 2 inches is possible, with gusts as high as 25 miles per hour. Saturday, mostly cloudy and that snow keeps coming with a high near 33. Sunday, sunny with a high near 36. The National Weather Service has issued a special weather statement and winter weather advisory in effect now until 1 p.m. Saturday for the Truckee-Tahoe region. Wind gusts between 30 and 40 miles per hour are possible for the valleys, with gusts up to 80 miles per hour on exposed ridges. Expect total snow accumulations of 1 to 4 inches with 4 to 8 inches above 7,000 feet. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight mostly cloudy with a low around 38. A 30% chance of showers between 9 p.m. and midnight and wind up to 24 miles per hour. Tomorrow, that same 30% chance of showers, mainly before 8 a.m. Mostly cloudy, then gradually becoming sunny with a high near 58. Sunday, patchy fog before 8 a.m. Otherwise sunny with a high near 64. If it comes, that rain would be a welcome sight. As reported in the Sacramento Bee, the capital hasn't received measurable rainfall since January 7. That's a 55-day dry spell during what's normally the region's wet season. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Stay tuned as Felton Pruitt cements your Saturday evening plans. He speaks with Jonathan Lyerly from Minstrels in the Gallery about recreating the music of Jethro Tull. We're talking with Jonathan Lyerly. He's part of the Minstrels in the Gallery, the music of Jethro Tull, coming to the Auburn State Theater a Saturday, March 5th. Jonathan, tell us a little bit about it. Well, first of all, thanks, Felton, for having us on and letting all the folks know about our show coming up. We, uh, actually, our bass player, who is also a KVMR DJ. Larry Casserly came up with the concept for the show. This was a little over two years ago and gathered together all these wonderful musicians to perform the works of Jethro Tull. And uh, we did play a two-night stint at the Nevada Theater. And then, guess what? COVID hit. I saw the shows at the, uh, at the Nevada Theater, and they were fantastic. I thought you guys did an excellent job of recreating and continuing on the spirit of Jethro Tull. Well, thanks, Felton. Yeah, we're all massive Jethro Tull fans. And, you know, we really, it's important to us to really recreate what all those great songs that you heard on the recordings. We don't muck about with the arrangements and things like that. We just try to really recreate it. So when you're watching the show, you really feel like you're seeing Jethro Tull in their heyday. So, yeah, that's kind of our goal, and we're all really excited and motivated to deliver that. One of the most important things, if you're going to do Jethro Tull, of course, is you've got to bring the right person in to be Ian Anderson, and you guys did a great job by getting Jay Tossig to come in. 
Yes, I'm sure people around our area have run across Jay Tossig over the years. He's done a lot of different things. You know, we're not a tribute band that's trying to look exactly like the tribute band, like the Beatles tribute band or something like that. But in this case, Jay really does Ian Anderson amazingly well, and that is a super hard thing to find. Somebody who can play flute has the look, knows the moves, and can play flute standing on one leg. <laughs> yes. That's Jay. So, yeah, he does an amazing job. Um, very hard to find somebody to do that, and we're real happy to have Jay doing it. So, yeah. I would guess that he stays in character for the whole gig. It's like 